Welcome, everyone, to the George Sanders Show, Seattle International Film Festival 2015 Sideshow Spectacular. It's the show we've been talking about for months now. Uh, we've finally gotten through the 22 days, 24 days. How many days is SIF, Sean? 25 days. 25 days of SIF. But we had like uh, two weeks of, of press screeners before that. That's true, yeah. Uh, our eyes are uh, broken. Our brains are oozing out of our ears, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna pack as much as we possibly can into this show of films that we saw, moments we shared, experiences we had, um, and just give everybody out there kind of you know a little taste of of what the Seattle International Film Festival is like. Well, um, to to be clear, we shared no moments. <laughs> we shared some moments through the text messages. Yeah. No, that's not true. You and I, we did share something. I I went uh, last week. I I got off work early and I drove down to SIF's, you know, flagship cinema, the Uptown, uh, to meet you to see uh, the double feature of Cave of the Spider Women and Cave of the Silken Web. Mm -hmm. And I met you in the cafe across the street as you were about to settle into a BLT, I believe. Yes. And uh, told you that the show was sold out and I couldn't go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we did share a moment, Sean. And yeah. it was a doozy. <laughs> that, that doesn't count. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about here. Um, I saw 12 films, a good dozen, uh, at this year's festival, which is uh, four times as many as I saw last year. Mm. And you saw how many, Sean? Uh, I saw... 35 films at this festival. There were two others that I had seen before that played here. Does that, that include the repertory stuff like The Cave of the Silken Web? Yes. Okay, how many but, How many new features? 25. 25. I saw, I saw 25 new films, 10 archival films. Yeah. Yeah, it, w it was a hectic time. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, uh, a lot of trips to the theater. That's right. Uh, and you don't live near any of these theaters. I must. I must point that out. It, it, no. Each time you had to come up, it was it was quite a trek. So yes, uh, your dedication is commendable. Yes. <laughs> well, what we're gonna do this time around, as opposed to last year, where we kind of just rambled uh, for hours on end, is we've actually created some categories, some kind of awards, if you will, that we're going to be giving out um, that kind of will facilitate us uh, in our discussion here. Um, so we're going to just go on down the line and, and hopefully this will keep people engaged because a lot of these movies, um, you know, are, probably will not be coming out in other places for quite a while, if at all. Um, so hopefully people can get interested in, in, in some of this stuff here. So uh, let, without further ado, we've got 15 categories to get through. So let's uh, let's just dive right in here. Um, and and this is a very the first topic is a very SIF specific one in its way. Um, SIF has a tendency and you've been to more film festivals than I have, Sean. So you can you can speak to this maybe more than I can. But from my previous years of SIF experience and, and this year too, the audience makeup of a typical SIF screening is uh, a lot of old people <laughs> and uh, a lot of clueless people uh, mm -hmm. going into things that 
you know, they got a pre- they got or they got a pass of some of some sort, and they you know just kind of maybe the the time was convenient for them to see the film or uh, or something. Well, I'm not quite sure what, but uh, our first award uh, on on today's program is oddest audience reaction uh, at SIF. Um, and so I'm, I'm eager to hear what your, um, your pick is for this, Sean. What do you got for me? Uh, early, early in the festival, there was a, a, a pair of experimental films by renowned experimental filmmakers, uh, Bill Morrison and James Benning. Uh, it wasn't exactly a double feature, but they played back to back and they're both like an hour long. Um, and they played in the same auditorium and, and a lot of the same people went to them. And so the, the oddest, my audience, oddest audience reaction was the half the audience that got up and walked out of the James Benning film very loudly as if they had no idea what they were getting into. And when it turned out to be a James Benning film, they, they left and seemed very, very angry. And can you set up? For for those of us that haven't seen James Benning's work, uh, what those what his movies are it's, like? It's uh, well, this, this one, Natural History, um, is is actually the only one that I've seen. I know him by reputation, uh, but but uh, his films are basically just kind of static shots of of random things, and it's actually described fairly well, I think, in the in the SIF catalog, as I recall. It's just it's it's. Uh, uh, shots of of different and unexpected lengths, some really, really long, some really short, of everyday objects backstage at the Natural History Museum in Vienna, I believe. And that's all it is. So it's like a shot of somebody's desk. And then it's a shot of like a wall. And then a shot of like a, a row of stuffed leopards. And Sounds right and, up my alley. Right, and and it's actually really funny. <laughs> But I was apparently the only person in the audience laughing, uh, which, you know, my reaction to it is probably those people's oddest audience reaction. So (laughs) on their their concurrent podcast, there's a there's a lot of like there's a lot of like visual humor in like the juxtaposition of shots and like there's there's like a row of butterflies like uh, like pinned in like boxes like you see at a natural history museum just just dozens of butterflies but one of them will just be like slightly off kilter and it'll just be like infuriating to the obsessive compulsive side of you that just wants to reach out there and just straighten out that one you know it's like there are those people out there that uh and i'm one of them that can't walk by a crooked picture frame without trying to straighten it and it's it's that kind of thing just just kind of playing on your reaction to images and i thought it was really fun and really funny and and uh 14 people, I think, 16 people, I counted, walked out of the nice. uh, the SIF Film Center, which has, like, hollow wooden floors. So every, when the people walked out, it was really loud. Yeah, that's an odd auditorium, uh, yeah. speaking of oddities. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of makeshift. It's, 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 like, built out of plywood and stuff. And, yeah, it's kind of cat. I wouldn't say cavernous, but, yeah, it definitely echoes in that in that room. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's odd to me because I don't know, I don't know why you would, you would go to that movie, not knowing anything about it. I mean, right. I don't, I don't know what they were actually expecting, and it's not, it was, it's like fifty minutes long, right? <laughs> and they walked out of it. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. Right. That that is odd to me. What what I, was what was your oddest audience reaction? Did you actually see anything with an audience? <laughs> you got me. Uh, I did see one film with an audience, and luckily there was an odd audience reaction. Uh, most of the stuff I did see uh, was on screeners, 
um, the because, majority. I've, because you're a shut-in. Because I'm a shut-in. Um, it was actually great this year. Um, I, the, one of the reasons I got to all of this stuff is that SIF was uh, very um, accommodating in, in giving us uh, links to to, um, to screeners. And then I went to the um, their offices and picked up a couple of DVDs of, of things that they didn't have uh, the links to and stuff. So that was really great this year and, and, def- and a definite improvement from uh, years past. And, yeah, and that's why... It seemed like there was a lot more stuff available on via online screener this year. Yeah, and and more stuff available that was interesting. Like I remember there was yeah. a, there were quite a few things last year, but they were all like pretty middling. Well, I think the programming was just better in general this year. I I agree. Yeah. Uh, so, but I did go to a press screening, uh, and it's not really it wasn't really fully a press screening. There were like I said other pass holders in attendance uh unless they're all writing for some like senior weekly that i'm not aware of well certain passes get you access to the press screenings too right um so i saw the first film i actually saw in the whole festival was uh called soul searching um from director benson lee um it's uh it's a throwback 80s film um that kind of apes the john hughes kind of aesthetic um but it's set um at a Korean um, like summer camp where where kids that are um, foreign-born Koreans, you know, from the states or England or you know all, all over the world, uh, to learn part of their uh, you know cultural history, they um, you know went to like a three three month summer camp um, in South Korea in the eighties, um, and it's the most cliche movie in the world. I really did not like this movie at all. Um, it 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 was just there was nothing original about it and and the worst part about it like the 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 80s clichés and and stuff were were just kind of empty and and lame but then in the middle of the movie it, t- it kind of pivots and and tries to become emotional and 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 dramatic but it's it's the most like overwrought kind of melodramatic um kind of writing you could possibly imagine and and there are these reveals about several characters um, kind of in succession where I swear to God, four characters back to back to back to back have some sort of daddy issue. And it's, and it's, 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 you know, one would have been enough, but like there's, there's this one pivotal scene where these two characters uh, that have kind of been butting heads the whole movie kind of bond a little bit over their father issues. Um, and it and it was the only part of the movie that is ostensibly a comedy uh, that I actually laughed because um, <laughs> I was like so ridiculous and over the top. But anyway, I was walking out of the film uh, two hours later, and uh, there were audience members in tears um, <laughs> at this thing, and I was just you know just kind of dumbstruck because. It, the movie just kind of bludgeons you with its it, with its emotional beats um, in that second half, and to think that people were actually eating it up right next to me uh, was was quite a shock. Um, so maybe this movie is going to be a huge crowd pleaser. It could it could do it, but I was I thought it was the most empty, hollow piece of malarkey um, around, and and, and yet Sif lo- the Sif crowd loved it. So. <laughs> Malarkey. Yep, that's, that's right. I, I picked that up from one of the old ladies sitting next to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was a movie that looked mildly interesting to me, but when you saw it, I decided not to. 
Yeah, and, and you know the the musical choices. You know, I don't want to harp too much on this movie, but like you can tell within the first five minutes, you know what kind of level of creativity this movie's running on because it you know it trots out every 80s cliche song you could possibly imagine you know you get the clash should i stay or should i go violent femmes uh i mean and and no deep cuts it's all you know the obvious song and it, right oh it was yeah it was it was rough um <laughs> the punk rock kid's name is sid i mean it's just it's too much so how does it compare to empire records Oh gosh, I you know I haven't seen Empire Records in so long. I hated Empire Records. <laughs> I know I know a lot of people that really uh, treasure that movie, mm. which is kind of astounding to me. Um, but I remember seeing it back in you know it had to be in like ninety. What was that? Ninety five. Ninety five. Yeah, I probably saw it in ninety five, ninety six. This is just... the twentieth anniversary this year of, of Empire Records. Oh well, there you go. Well, yeah, I I did not care for that movie at the time. So, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, uh, the next category is the best new director, which is a director who was new to you and uh, new to directing. <laughs> Way to set it up. Someone, someone who hasn't made very many films. Right. Yeah. So, I, I, would, I would consider it somebody that's, you know, maybe done less than five films uh, and then definitely, yeah, definitely someone that I'd never seen anything from before. Uh, and my pick is um, director Fandang D, who directed the uh, great film um, Big Father, Small Father and Other Stories, uh, which was actually my favorite film um, of the entire festival. Uh, and, you know, I'm just going to come out the gates here at the beginning of the show and say that um, I much prefer the original title, the, the original title of the film um, in Vietnamese is uh, Father and Son and, which makes way more sense for this movie. I don't know what the small father is in this movie. I don't, mm -hmm. This English title makes absolutely no sense. Um, but it's a film that um, it's just absolutely gorgeous, um, first of all. And, it, and it's, a, it's a very low key film about kind of a love triangle between two men um, and a, uh, a kind of a nightclub singer, uh, this, this woman that's like really into partying and drugs and stuff. And, and she's sleeping with one guy, but then the other guy, the two guys are sleeping together, but it's this very, it was a movie that I was really impressed with, particularly with the direction, um, in, in terms of it never comparing it to soul searching, for example, it never took the easy route. It always did, um, the quieter thing. Um, and the, I, I can't help but think this is somewhat autobiographical watching it. I don't know anything about, you know, this director or, or you know, anything like that, but one of the characters, the main character, you know, he's a photographer. Um, and the film is, like I said, gorgeous to look, I mean, just stunningly shot. Um, the, the scenes, um, in, you know, downtown Saigon are, are gorgeous with neon lights and stuff. And then there are these scenes that take place, um, at night in, in kind of the, uh, forest or on the, on the riverfront, you know, away from the big city. And, um, I, I he's got a real good eye and I, I kind of ascribed the photography student to him. Maybe that's, maybe that's wrong, but, um, it, it was just a very personal film. It felt like to me, I, I in my review for the uh, Seattle screen scene thing, um, it, it really reminded me of something like Jules and Jim, um, mm. 
without being like I going back to soul searching, uh, a ripoff of Jules and Jim. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it kind of just captures that kind of um, melancholy and and um, just kind of it, it just th- this air about it that that is very um, atmospheric and and incredibly. Uh, pleasing. So I, I yeah, quite enjoyed <laughs> that film. And Fan Dengdi uh, is the director. I think uh, has only directed one film before this um, that I don't think has played around at all. Um, but it, it's it's a it's a really wonderful film. Uh, what is your choice, Sean, for best new director? Uh, it is the uh, Chinese director Jin Yu Khan, who directed a film called uh, The Coffin in the Mountain, which is. A movie I haven't heard anything about before. Uh, it's a kind of a thriller set in a, a small town uh, that starts as uh, the story of like these two like teenagers who are in love, and uh, the girl uh, says she's pregnant, so they run away. And as they're they're on their way uh, out of town, uh, uh, the the guy accidentally kills somebody. And they bury him in the woods, and then they they take off, and then uh, they decide to go back and like face what's going on, and they see the coffin coming by, and uh, the person then they're told that the person that's in the uh, the coffin is not the guy that they actually killed. <laughs> so they're very confused, dun, dun, dun. and then it cuts back in time, and you see like the events leading up to that from from one character's perspective, and the uh, the uh, uh, your understanding of, of what's happening gets kind of uh, uh, deeper and more complicated, uh, and then you go back in time again and see it from another perspective, and it just keeps um, um, building this kind of weird web of, of coincidence and interconnection in all of these these characters who uh, do just kind of horrible things, but nobody really does anything, you know, all of that bad. Everyone seems to like have good motives, but they end up, you know with a dead body in the mountains and nobody knows how to, who is actually responsible for that guy ending up dead. And so it's, it's a, it's a really kind of interesting portrait of this community and of all of these people and a really, really interesting, uh, how well he tells this, this complicated story. Cause it, it keeps getting more complicated, but you're never lost in it. You never, you know, it can, it can be with movies like this, it, it can be easy to get confused about which character is which, especially in a, in a foreign movie because Americans are very provincial. Sure. Uh, but, but this, despite the tangled narrative, he keeps everything very clear and it's, it's shot pretty well uh like the the opening scenes are this really kind of uh kind of hectic handheld uh style that's a little too close to the main characters but as the movie goes on the the camera pulls back and the shots get get longer and longer um as you kind of get like a more global perspective on the interconnections of all of these these characters it's it's a it's a really interesting film and i think it's a it's a it's something that you're likely never going to get a chance to see outside of a, a film festival. Right. Uh, but it is, uh, it's a, a sign of a director with, with talent and hopefully he uh, can continue to, to work. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. Um, 
I, I feel like every every festival I go to, there's some like weird Chinese film that I I really really like and that I never hear from again. This happens all the time in Vancouver, and and this was that one at for me. <laughs> so yeah, maybe, well, maybe it'll uh, <laughs> maybe it'll it'll turn up again. Maybe it'll be in Vancouver this year, and you'll get a chance. To yeah, see there it. you go. Just yeah. a few months away. Yeah. All right. Well, um, speak. You know. <laughs> The, the the film festival bread and butter, uh, so to speak, is the indie film, you know, and I, I know that that term is so broad nowadays, but I think I think we all kind of have an idea of, of what we're talking about when we say indie film, in particular, uh, in this next category, when we talk about the lamest indie film that we saw at SIF. So Sean, what was your pick for lamest indie film? Oh, this was a really easy choice. It was my least favorite film of the festival. And it was also the one that the audience I was in seemed to love the most. Uh-huh. Uh, it's this movie called Chatty Caddies. <laughs> which, uh, it won like an audience award. I it think. did. It did. Yeah. Oh it gosh. Was like, I saw the trailer for that thing. Yeah. I couldn't believe you, you subjected yourself to that thing. Uh, it was uh, it was very heavily promoted on social media. Uh, they uh, their the person in charge of their their Twitter uh, began asking us like as soon as we started tweeting about Sif if we were going to watch it. And they're like, you should watch it. You should see this movie. Are you going to see this movie? They had like buttons <laughs> and stuff that they were handing out at the theater. Well, uh, set set it up what it is because I you know I mean I, the title pretty much gives it away but uh it's a it's about uh, a world in which cats can talk <laughs> and it's it's a movie about a a girl uh a 20 something girl who's uh who works like a, a service job and has artistic pretensions and her kind of crappy love life and she's like uh she's like a, a dumb version of uh, a character that uh What's her name? Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Gilda Radner. Oprah Winfrey. Uh, she's like a dumb version of a character that Kristen Ritter would play. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I and, know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. And uh, she has this cat who's like mean to her, like always telling her, you know, what a horrible person she is because she's a horrible person. And then she's dating a guy who likes her cat much more than he actually likes her. Uh, and all of the cats are voiced by, by hearing impaired actors because oh, as the, oh. the liner notes for the film say, they want to make a point about the like limited job opportunities for hearing impaired actors. Oh, <laughs> uh, and uh, interspersed through this main story are like little sketches of like an owner and the cat and it'll like they'll like be a joke about like the cat, you know, and the person, and it'll be like this totally lame joke. But everyone in the audience will laugh. But there'll be no point to those other characters. It's just like they had brainstormed a bunch of cat jokes, and then wanted to add them into their movie. But there's like no narrative connection to the actual story of the film, and there's like no following along with these other characters, like in you know like a network narrative kind of thing. It's just like some of them, re- uh, some of the cats recur, some of them are just there once, and you never see them again. Uh, we need cat continuity, people. But you know the the you know the jokes the jokes are lame, 
but they're not just lame, but they're poorly delivered because because right. it's an indie. Well, it, it's an indie, but it's because the delivery of jokes, you know, hearing helps with that. That's true. <laughs> with like the the inflection of your voice, and and you know, it's I I it sucks that hearing impaired actors have you know trouble finding jobs, but maybe this isn't the best role for them. Right. Well, it's kind of a demeaning role too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, Hey, you got a job voicing a cat in this, like, you know, $5,000 indie thing. Well, it's, it's not only, it's not only pretentious, but it also, it makes me feel like they're trying to like preempt any criticism of their film by saying, right you know, we're doing this great thing for hearing impaired actors. Right. And I am offended by that. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awful. Just awful. And, and, you know, and, you know, all of that would be fine if the jokes were funny. Sure. But they're, but they're not funny and they're poorly delivered. And the movie is just not good. Man. It's just, it's, it's bad. It is a bad movie. You're 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 a saint, Sean, for for suffering through that. Yeah, that that one, I could smell that one a mile away. I was not gonna give that a shot. Yeah, and and you know I had that feeling going into it, and and honestly, like 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 you said, the 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 lame indie film being a, a a fixture at film festivals is one of the reasons why I like Vancouver so much, because the the movies I see there are the international festival films and the Asian films, and they play hardly any American films. Yeah. So I don't have to God see... bless the Canadians. Yeah, so I'm not even tempted <laughs> to go see crap like that. Right. <laughs> it's, it's why I would never go to Sundance. Right. Unless, unless you paid me. If you wanted to pay me to go to Sundance, I'd do that. But I would, I would file a lot of pans. <laughs> Anyone out there want to fund Sean going to Sundance? <laughs> on, the, on the strength of that 10-minute rant about chatty caddies. Yeah. Your chances now. <laughs> so what was your lamest indie film? My lamest indie film, uh, the the lameness can be summed up in the title alone. It's a film with of three words: people, places, things. Mm. Yes, that is a title of a film that was released in 2015. It's very descriptive. It's very descriptive. I have a you... feeling like all of that is in the movie. <laughs> Oh, God help us all. It's a terrible movie uh, directed by James C. Strauss, who did, um, was that movie with John Cusack? Oh, gosh. I, I can't think of the title. Um, uh, the one where his like, wife dies. Well, okay, hang on. I have to look it up. Uh, um, better off dead. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, Grace is gone. That's the no. one. I never saw it, but no. I've seen the poster. <laughs> um people places things is uh oh god it's got everything i hate about indie movies uh it takes place in an idealized uh new york city uh where everybody is either an academic or uh an artist or both um it stars jermaine clement uh from flight of the concords and uh you know what we do in the shadows who i really like and he's actually He's fine in this movie uh, with what he's given. He he does the best he can, but it is the most insufferable piece of garbage. <laughs> uh, he's as the movie begins, 
uh, it's the the birthday of his twin daughters, um, and they're at their you know brownstone in in Brooklyn or wherever, and they're having this party, and he. He's he goes upstairs and he sees his wife um, about to have sex with this guy and their relationship falls apart. She's going through a midlife crisis and she actually is the the, the main reason I take so much uh, just anger at, at towards this movie because uh, her character is is just created solely to make him look better. You know, she's she's going through this crisis, but she's she's selfish and uh, histrionic and just you know she just um is is always doing horrible things and and it and she doesn't feel real at all and this movie's trying to give you some sense of i think reality to it it's trying to be this kind of low-key you know relationship movie but it doesn't work when you can't write a woman character to save your life um Anyway, he's a sad sack loser who teaches classes by day and draws comic books at night um, and depicting his, the struggles he's going through. And it just it's one of those movies where I hate everybody in it and I don't want anybody to end up happy and everybody <laughs> ends up happy and I hate it. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. It's, just, it's really terrible. Um, Jessica Williams from The Daily Show shows up. She's one of his students, and uh, she, oh god, it's it's bad. It's really bad. I like her. <laughs> I like her too. Uh, I and I like I said, I like Jermaine Clement, but uh, and you know, it's nice to see people trying different things. But you know, it would remind me of because a lot of the movie is him hanging out with his twin daughters um, in New York City. Uh, which feels a lot like an episode of Louie to me, mm. um, except Louie is really funny and actually has things to say about, you know, relationships and parenthood um, and just a, a unique take on life. And, and this is the opposite of all of that. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, of trying new things, uh, the next category is most experimental feature. Yeah, and mine, my pick for this, um, it, it's in a way the description of it is the most experimental thing about it because I don't know whether to classify this as one movie, as two movies, which is how it played at SIF, or as four movies, which is actually kind of how it is um, created. Okay. Uh, and it's this, it's this film called uh, Little Forest. Um, that is this Japanese film or set of films, however you want to do it, uh, directed by Junichi Mori. Um, the first two, Summer and Autumn, came out in 2014, and then Winter and Spring came out this year. And I think Sif was one of the first places that the second part played. But um, it's based on a manga, um, and each film, each section, so the winter, you know, it's by the seasons, um, is about an hour long, and it's about this woman who lives out in the countryside in Japan um, in this um, tiny house, you know, she, the house she grew up in. Uh, and the whole movie is about her cooking different dishes. Um, it's, it's a narrative feature. It's not documentary, but um, as she's cooking these, these, these dishes throughout the film, we get little glimpses to her life and, and, what came before this, like her relationship with her mother and stuff, but it's all teased out very fleetingly over the course of the four hours of this um, 
saga, as it were. Is she like having conversations with people while she's cooking, or are there well, like other scenes that... like cut in? So um, there are flashbacks, you know, that'll show her as a kid or as a, as a student with her mom. Uh, she has friends that come by. They're like the you know the old people that live nearby that she you know um, has conversations with. She has a couple of friends that come over every once in a while. But mostly the movie is centered around her, and she does kind of a voiceover thing where, where she describes the dis- dishes that she's making. Okay. Um, and not only does she make the dishes, but like she it's this farm that she lives on, and so we see her. Um, planting the rice at the beginning of the the season, you know, and then harvesting it later and making a dish out of that. And she tells stories of, you know, these berries that grow out of this tree and how she, you know, they remind her of her mother. She never liked the taste, but she creates a jam out of them or whatever. Um, And so the movie is mostly dedicated to her making these dishes, um, but giving you little glimpses of her backstory. Um, And it's a really great, it's, it's a very charming film and um once again i this is kind of my you know style but i you know i like movies that are kind of contemplative and and just calm and just take their time and there's no need to have you know bombastic emotional moments or anything like that and this movie is very very low-key um and very unique um it's you know especially because it it what, what the, the great thing about it is um each section is an hour long and but each one starts with its own credit sequence where she um there there are shots of the the village and and the um the fields and and her house and stuff and she but she says the same opening uh monologue each time and y- y- over the course of the 4 hours you really start to um feel like comfortable in this world and, and, and it's kind of welcoming and inviting and, and it starts to feel like home um, as, as you go further along, you know, in the film and you really feel like you're part of her existence. Um, and w- the film it actually reminded me a lot of is the uh, Studio Ghibli film Only Yesterday, which is about a, uh, a woman in her 20s kind of reflecting back on her childhood as she goes out, uh, you know, out of the city into, um, you know, the forest or the, uh, excuse me, the uh, farms and kind of goes back to a simpler life. And, and this kind of reminded me of that. And it's, it's a really sweet movie. Yeah. That sounds like something I would really like. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I think you would dig it. Right on. Uh, what is your choice for most experimental feature? Uh, it is uh, one of the archival films that I saw. It is uh, Sergei Parajanov's The Color of Pomegranates, which is almost 50 years old, and it's still one of the craziest fucking movies I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, it is a biopic of the Georgian, Armenian, Azeri poet Syed Nova that uh, is unlike any biopic that you've ever seen. It's told like uh, almost in, uh, it's told almost entirely through uh, uh, like quotes of of Nova's poems with images that don't make any kind of narrative sense, but have like symbolic meanings uh, that are really, really beautiful and really hard to follow in any kind of normal sense of the word. And the the weirdest thing about it was I saw it at at the Harvard exit in a sold out auditorium for this crazy 50 year old Russian movie that is totally hard to follow. And I, there weren't any walkouts. Hmm. 
that I saw, and it seemed like the audience was kind of into it, which is such a weird thing about Sif, and I don't really understand where these people come from and why they only go to Sif movies. Because if the, if this film and this exact same same uh, presentation had played at the Northwest Film Forum, right, I they get twenty people, right, and I don't I don't I don't know what it is about Sif how they do that, but but it's crazy. Have you seen the color of pomegranates? I have not. No, I really yeah. I really would like to see it. That was part of the Scorsese um, yeah. foundation thing, right? Yeah, the the reason why they had such a great archival presentation this year was it was like a tribute to the film foundation, which is Martin Scorsese's film preservation thing. So they had got a whole bunch of prints that the film foundation had restored and and pomegranates was one of them. Uh, I think it, this was a a DCP. I don't I they oh, really? they showed very little on actual film. Oh, and we'll get to yes, I'm sure we will. <laughs> we'll get to the film presentations later in the uh, in the podcast here, but uh, yeah, but it looked it, the restoration looked fantastic. Like it, uh, I had only seen the movie before on DVD, and the DVD is like notoriously poor uh, right. quality. And for such a, a visual film, obviously, you want it to look as good as possible. And it's, it's great. I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I think it's, it's funny. It's weird. Uh, it's experimental. Yeah. I, 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 would, I, I, you know, I would love to see that. And I, I'm sorry I missed that. I'm particularly miss, sad that I missed uh, anything at the Harvard exit, you know, yeah. um, this, you know, SIF revived the Harvard exit, uh, for, you know, the festival, um, the Harvard exit being, uh, one of the most gorgeous film, uh, theaters in, in the city that we've had for years and years and years that, that closed. Um, we talked about it, uh, I don't know, like a year ago on the show when they were closing the doors. Um, but they, but SIF came in and, and kept it alive for the festival and it was a good PR move for them and so on and so forth. So I missed out on that. Uh, our last topic before we take a quick break here, uh, is going to go straight to Sean. Um, because I don't think I have an, uh, an answer for this one here, mm-hmm. but Sean, can, can you please tell us the best movie you saw at SIF that's about real estate in Hong Kong? Uh, that would be temporary family. Which, oh, really? A surprise pick. Yeah, which is <laughs> well, there are actually two movies about real estate in Hong Kong <laughs> at this year's festival. Uh, one of them I did not like at all. That is Overheard Three. Uh, it is the worst of the Overheard series, but temporary temporary family is really cool. Uh, it's like a, a romantic comedy kind of thing with Sammy Chang and uh, and uh, what's his name, Nick Chung. Uh, it stars Sammy Chang and uh, and Nick Chung. Uh, Sammy Chang, of course, you know as a pop superstar and star of many Hong Kong films. Uh, yeah, she plays a uh, a rich divorcee, and Nick Chung is a real estate salesman. And they, along with uh, with a couple of younger uh, uh, people, uh, kind of go in on a luxury apartment. Like they they split the cost of it, and then they're going to flip it. And, and make a bunch of money. Uh, Nick Chung is doing this so that he can uh, afford to get married because his uh, his fiance uh, wants him to be rich so she can have like a really nice house. Uh, and uh, as you will uh, infer from the title, the uh, the four of them kind of form a, a familial bond as they uh, share this apartment for a year. And it's it's a it's a very sweet and and fun and funny film. It's really good. It's not, uh, 
you know, it's not like an amazing romantic comedy like like uh, other Sammy Chang films like Romancing a Dinner or something, but it but it's good. It's it's very solid. Cool. And it's and it's so the much best movie about real estate. It's so much better than Overheard Three, which is <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I saw your review on that one. It was not none too pleasant. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not really disappointed in that one. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take our first break um, today. We're listening to uh, some free jazz, uh, Sean's choice because uh, Ornette Coleman passed away. Um, so I deferred to Sean because uh, I don't know anything about jazz. So is is this a song called Free Jazz, Sean? What is this? What are we listening uh, to? Yeah, Free Free Jazz was an album that Ornette Coleman did, and this is uh, uh, a random sixty second segment of the song Free Jazz, parts one and two. Our next category is the most, quote, SIF moment of the festival, <laughs> which, uh, yeah. You, you want to set that up there, Sean? Uh, we're not. Or do you think the answers will explain what, what a, quote, SIF moment means? <sighs> no, I think, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, you know, I think, uh. I think this will reveal itself in the answers. Okay. Uh, SIF is SIF is its own thing. It is an, a very odd film festival. It is not. It does not function the way you would expect it to. Yes. It is a. It is a strange, unwieldy creature. Behemoth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what? What was? What was your most SIF moment? My most SIF moment of 2015, um, you know, I, I, the last couple of years, you know, as, as we've been able to get, you know, press uh, credentials and screeners and, and all these opportunities, which is great. I, I, you know, I really appreciate that. And I, and, I, and I commend SIF for having such wonderful taste to decide that we can actually uh, <laughs> be part of the process. But, uh, you know, one of the great opportunities has been uh, the ability to interview um, people, you know, uh, that we respect or, you know, that we find interesting, what have you. And, uh, you know, as we listened to on the last show, I was given the chance to talk to Atticus Ross um, about Love and Mercy and and other stuff. Um, Last year, you got to talk to Bong Joon-ho. That's right. Um, And 
And and so this year I was going to get a uh, speaking of Bong Joon-ho, I'm going to get a chance to speak to um, another Korean auteur. Um, when Sif sent out kind of a plea, and it it was kind of, it seemed like a plea um, in the last week or the or second to last week of the festival, um, and they they listed a whole bunch of people uh, that were coming to town, and they were you know who wants to interview all you know all these names or whatever, uh, and one of the names on the list was uh, Lee Quang Cook, who is the director of A Matter of Interpretation, which is a film that I guarantee you we will probably both be talking about uh, later on in this show. Um, he also that directed the, directed the film Romance Joe. Um, and also, and worked with your buddy uh, Hong Sang Soo on a couple of features as an assistant director. Um, and so, out of all those names, there were like I swear there were like fifty names in that email asking you know who you wanted to interview. Um, he he was the one that really jumped out, and I I you know contacted Sif and I said, oh, I would love you know to to interview lee if you if you have you know room for me or whatever and they wrote me back they said oh that's great absolutely uh how does two o'clock tomorrow sound um it was my day off so that worked out um you'll get a whole hour with them and i said oh awesome you know uh you were kind enough to to send me a copy of romance joe um i'd already seen a matter of interpretation um for the festival yeah Ro romance and joe not available anywhere with English subtitles, it was yeah. never it was never released on DVD. Uh, I caught it in in Vancouver, and really loved it in like 2012. I think is when I saw it. It's phenomenal. I mean, it is just amazing, and uh, and I was really giddy, you know, um, to to get this opportunity. And and we talked about it. You know, you were you giving me some ideas for questions to ask, and I was really you know preparing myself. I watched Romance Joe that morning of the interview. Um, and we had this whole idea of we were going to do a show where we would talk about a matter of interpretation for, you know, the regular 20, 30 minutes that we do for a feature on the show. And then we would turn it over to my in-depth interview, uh, with its director. And so saw romance or yeah, saw romance Joe that morning, you know, showered, got dressed, uh, you know, went downtown. Wait, wait, the... wait. You, you saw the movie before you showered and got dressed? Yeah. Okay. Can you believe it? I know. <laughs> I, I can actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and then I went downtown to the swanky W Hotel, um, which is you know where they put up people for for SIF. It's you know very fancy pants. You know I I felt awkward walking in the door. Uh, <laughs> were you were you again wearing a Melvin's T-shirt? I was not. I was wearing a San Francisco Giants shirt, and okay. this is this is a sign of me doing my homework. By the way, I, little inside inside tip here: I was researching Lee Quang Cook before the interview um, to kind of get some you know talking points and stuff like that, and I saw a couple of pictures of him on the internet. Uh, there aren't many, but. Uh, he's always wearing a baseball cap, and uh, in many pictures, one, it was a San Francisco Giants baseball cap. Oh. And so I thought that might break the ice. You All know right. what I mean? Sure. So yeah. So so anyway, get down there in my Giants shirt. Uh, you know, walk through the lobby as the you know the W Hotel staff are kind of giving me you know the shifty eyes. Uh, <laughs> go upstairs to the press office, and I walk in, and and you know maybe ten minutes before my interview is about to take place. Uh, I say, hey, you know, I'm here for, for an interview. And, and they say, oh, yeah, we just sent you an email. Uh, we can't find his interpreter. <laughs> and, and I said, 
uh, okay. Uh, like, did they just step out for a minute or something? And they're like, no, we haven't heard from her. We, we have no idea where she is. And he doesn't speak a word of English. And I'm like, okay. And I look at my phone and literally, you know, my interview was at two and they mm-hmm. emailed me that at one fifty two or something like that, which, you know, I know these things, these happen. Would have been nice to get the email, I don't know, an hour before or in the morning or, or something um, so that I didn't go through all that trouble. Um, so I was down there and I said, well, I understand. And, you know, uh, I took off, you know, and, and they, they contacted me later and they said, oh, we found her. She was in Bellevue, which is like the uh, swanky you know, city to the east of us. Um and, you know, couldn't have made it back in, in time for an interview. So that all fell by the wayside, unfortunately. So I never got to interview Lee Quang Cook about his lovely uh, body of work. So that was my most Sif moment. I still think he could have just grabbed a random person off the street in downtown Seattle and they would have spoken Korean and could have interpreted for you. The W is actually, you know, it's about a half mile uh, away from uh, the international district, so oh, yeah, yeah, I probably could have gone. You know, I could have taken them. My original plan, since they said I had an hour, was to uh, take them to the pinball museum, mm. uh, and we could just play pinball for an hour. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure I could have gone to like a Korean, you know, bubble tea place across the street and uh, sure. had someone help me out. But say la vie. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I really hope that he, you know, he flew his ass out here from South Korea. I really hope that he managed to get interviewed by at least a couple of people. Um, yeah, I, it was. Uh, I, th- I felt I felt bad for him because it it felt like like when when they told you you could have a whole hour with him, it it felt like nobody else was interested in talking to him. Oh yeah, like why would I, like for example, the flip side of that is you know the other person I was interested in in interviewing in that batch of names was Pete Doctor from Pixar mm-hmm. uh who was coming to town for uh Inside Out which opens in a in a week or so um and I you know I said oh yeah I'd love to interview Pete Pete Doctor and they got, you know and I I responded to that email within like 15 minutes of getting it sure. and by the time they got back to me I said oh he's awful sorry yeah. you can do a you can do a round table with him and I was like <laughs> screw that noise yeah. Not for the George Sanders show. <laughs> we, don't, one. we don't do roundtables. No, we don't do roundtables. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I, I I fear he may have just been holed up in a fancy hotel room for three days before he boarded a plane to go back to, mm-hmm. you know, South Korea. But yeah, that's that not sucks. my fault. I tried. That sucks. Well, hopefully, hopefully he will will bring a matter of interpretation to to Vancouver, and we'll get another shot at him. Yeah. I, I think it would be a really interesting interview. Yeah. Uh, what What was uh, your most Sif moment? I'm interested to hear because I know you had you had more than one this year. Yeah, I had I had several Sif, <laughs> Sif moments, uh, but the the most Sif was the the Cave of the Silken Web, uh, Cave of the Spider Woman double feature. Uh, this was this was billed in the catalog as a double feature. It was a, a it was one of like the the most exciting most things I was most excited for for the festival. I think I've talked about it on the show a couple of times already. Um, but it was uh, this 1925 uh, uh, Chinese silent uh, adaptation of a story from uh, uh, Journey to the West called Cave of the Spider Woman, uh, in which uh, the uh, the Buddhist pilgrim and the Monkey King and and their their you know friends are waylaid by you know evil women 
in this cave who try to kidnap them and they want to eat the monk uh, because that will give them like power or something. Uh, so it's like this really cool like early fantasy film. It would it, it was it's the uh, like the earliest Chinese film I've ever seen. Uh, and then they paired it with uh, Cave of the Silken Web, which was a 1967 or 68 uh, Shaw Brothers adaptation of the same story by uh, uh, director Ho Ming Hua, who's you know one of the the not like top line Shaw Brothers directors like Chang Chai or, or La Carlong, but but he's he's very good. Uh, so that this was really exciting. This build is a double feature. You know, there's one running time for the whole program. They're going to do Spider Woman, Silken Web. Right. So so get to the theater. Uh, you have already left because you've been told that it is sold out and that there are no more tickets left, and you failed to buy a ticket for your girlfriend. So even though you don't need a ticket, you you could not see the movie without her. Uh, so you had left. I'm not a jerk. Yeah, I I, I I go to the line. I'm like, I'm here for Spider Woman, and and they like, and and the uh, the volunteer says, okay, well, there's like they can't run uh, one of the films here, so they have to run the first one over at the film film center, which is like three blocks away, and then you all have to march back over here to see the second one. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> So what what happened apparently was that nobody realized that the print that they got of Cave of the Spider Women, which had just shown in the San Francisco uh, Silent Film Festival like the week before, uh, was in a format that could not be played at the Uptown. And I don't know if it was 16 millimeter or if it was 35, but it had to be real to real, and they could only run 35 on platters at the at the Uptown. You know, it, it it doesn't matter. Somebody didn't do their research and figure out that they couldn't do them both at the same theater and there were so many tickets sold for the film because you know of all of that that great promotion i was giving it on the george sanders show (laughs) uh that they had to because the film center is so much smaller than the uptown they had to do two shows of each at each theater (laughs) so even though they turned you away a half an hour earlier there were plenty of seats available and you probably could have gone to see both movies yeah, but then I'd have to walk three blocks. I, I know, twice. <laughs> so oh, I, it's yeah, just the, is, the, the mean, lack of organization, the lack of the fact that they didn't, you, they, you know, they didn't communicate that to the audience. You know, they're yeah. send, they sending out like four emails a day to everyone on the SIF mailing list, not just press, just everyone. And they don't, you know, say, you know, there's a program change with the, the, with the, the Hong Kong movies. We have to do this one here. And that's fine. You know, you know, these things happen. But you need to communicate that to your audience, not just have them walk up to the theater and like, oh, yep, yeah, you got to walk over here now. <laughs> it's just, and, and once, you, once we got over there, there's just mass confusion. Nobody knows what's going on. Like, it's just it was so irritating. <laughs> And that 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 is Sif. that's your, that's your Sif moment. <laughs> yeah, but you know the movies the movies were good. Uh, sure. And in another you know Sif moment, the uh, the 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 one the nineteen twenty seven one is on film. You know it's freshly restored, uh, but the intertitles are all in Norwegian because it, it was a Norwegian print that was discovered, uh, and the the. Uh, the restoration didn't translate the subtitles, so they had one of the the programmers for the festival uh, stand there and read a translation oh, no, really? of the subtitles, <laughs> uh, kind of reading along with it. 
And at the same time, there's a live score by renowned silent film live scorer Donald Soson. So he's like trying to play the piano and she's like reading the script off the microphone like over her and like the the mix is all wrong because obviously (laughs) it's not designed to be done that way. And so it's, yeah, it was just very uh, haphazard. And then the Shaw Brothers film, was in this this big auditorium at the Uptown, mm-hmm. uh, but they're projecting a DVD, oh. and not one of the better Shaw Brothers DVDs. It's just, and it just it looked it looked bad. Like like you know I we we uh, in you know years ago when we were doing Metro Classics, every once in a while we'd have to project a DVD, and it would look bad, and we'd try and make it as good look as good as it could, but. Uh, it never looks good. And this was like as bad as some of our worst DVD projections. That's terrible. So yeah, that, you know, is a, it's, it's like, it's a, it was a really cool idea to run these sure. two movies together, but there wasn't the, the follow through to like find a good source material for the 67 film or to make sure that, that the 27 film is in the same format and you can actually run them in the same auditorium. So it's like it's like they're almost there, but right. it's just not not right. <laughs> <sighs> oh, Sif. Yeah. So uh, on that note, uh, what was your biggest surprise of the festival? On a more positive uh, uh, turn. Yeah. So my biggest surprise. Um, Surprise can mean a lot of things. And, and you know, in a way, that this film was maybe the safest movie that I saw at the festival. It was the one I knew um, would be a safe bet going in. But it surprised me in in little ways. Um, and that's when Marnie was there. The, uh, mm. the latest and possibly last Studio Ghibli film uh, from director Hiromasa Yonabashi. Uh, Yona, Yonabayashi. Yone. Wait, hang on. Yonabayashi. Yonabayashi. Uh, is... When Marnie was there, from director Hiramasa Yonabayashi, uh, who directed also uh, The Secret World of Arietti. Um, and what I found surprising about Marnie was um, it's really creepy. Uh, <laughs> uh, for I mean, Ghibli has its you know its spooky moments and stuff. There are elements in their films that are kind of frightening, but this this one is like a uh, when Marnie was there is like a is, is a ghost story, um, a meditative and gorgeous looking ghost story, um, and it. It was not what I was expecting. I'll, I'll say that in terms of the way the plot plays out. Um, and I was also another surprise in it was um, while I enjoyed Arietti, um, you know, these non Takahata, non Miyazaki uh, Ghibli movies, you know, they're they're solid. You know, um, as long as it's not uh, Goru's, uh, what was the one that I actually haven't seen? And I'm being a total jerk by pretending like it's bad, even though I haven't seen it. Uh, Tales from Earthsea. Right. Um, but. Uh, Arietti's pretty good. Arietti's pretty good. Um, yeah. But this one I liked more. Um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought it was it was a, a, a big improvement on, on Arietti. Yeah. So, so it surprised me on, on both of those ends where, you know, I, I thought it was, um, definitely Ghibli caliber, 
um, but in interesting ways. Yeah, I, 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 I like that one as well. Uh, my, my biggest surprise is, is probably not much of a surprise, but uh, it's the Apu trilogy mm. by Saijit Ray, which was kind of the, the event of, of the festival for me. They played all three films in, uh, in the trilogy back to back to back uh, at the Pacific Place on a Sunday, and it was really cool. Every, every show was just packed. Uh, and the movies, uh, it's not a surprise that they were great. It was surprising to me in the way that they were great because right. they have this kind of uh, uh, reputation as being uh, influenced by, by neorealism and they are about this like, like uh, poor Indian family. It's like a, a little boy and he, he grows up over the course of, of the film. So you think it's going to be like a lot of like miserableism, like, like uh, Vittorio De Sica, Bicycle Thief kind of thing. And it's not at all. It is, it's much more like a Satyajit Ray film. And, and we've, we talked about uh, the chess players on the show before, which was uh, a film that I think surprised us both. It was not like what we expected it to be at all. And uh, I get into the point with Ray that I should stop expecting him to not be uh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. But right. uh, uh, Patrick Pachali has for, for years been like the, the most uh, uh, acclaimed film that I hadn't yet seen. Uh, so I was, I was really happy to see that's the first film in, in the trilogy. I was really happy to, to get to see it in uh, this great uh, uh, restoration that will actually be coming back to Seattle uh, later this oh, summer. Is it really? Oh, that's fantastic. Cause yeah. I was, I was really disappointed that I didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, work got in the way, but uh, oh, that's great! Where is it coming to? Uh, I'm, I think one of one of the SIF theaters, like the Egyptian or something. But uh, uh, it's it's uh, the the restoration is on like a national tour right now. Like I think it's playing in. I think it just played in Los Angeles and Vancouver over the last couple of weeks. I think it starts in Chicago this weekend, and it'll be turning around and be coming back for a week long run. I think in July. Well, and presumably this is all leading up to a Criterion release. Right. You know. the, the Criterion release is coming uh, this fall, supposedly. Yeah. So that's that's awesome and something that is, is a long time coming. So yeah. that's great. Well, the flip side of a biggest surprise, uh, or I guess it could be biggest surprise part two, sad edition. Uh, <laughs> but the, the biggest disappointment for you at the festival this year, Sean? Uh, it has to be the Red Shoes. <laughs> see i thought okay i'm glad you're bringing this up because yeah. i thought it was going to be for the previous category but uh yeah one of the other big headliners uh up for the archival program of the festival was uh this this brand new 35 millimeter restored print of uh powell and pressburger's the red shoes which is you know one of my favorite movies um and it, they played it at the egyptian there's a, a, a great theater, big screen. Uh, we're sitting there. We're watching the print. It's amazing. It looks so good. And at every re real change, uh, projector breaks. <laughs> the first real change, the screen just goes dark, and the whole audience just goes, ugh. They get it back up and running. Go through another reel. Same thing happens again. Eventually, they cancel the show. Uh, I guess neither of the projectors, they couldn't get the take-up reels to work, which is appalling yeah that's just that they would have that kind of technical 
problem at, at a film festival. And uh, especially for such a gala show. Like, I mean, yeah. and, I mean, that's that like that. Anytime you run the red shoes on 35, that is the centerpiece of whatever you're doing. Yes. And apparently they had projector problems the day before as well. They tried to run something in 35, like a Swedish thing. I'm not sure. But the fact that they didn't know that it was working before the show started and just like, eh, yeah, it'll probably work. <laughs> Flip it on. You know, they could have, if, you know, if they weren't careful, they could have seriously damaged this print. Sure. And, you know, it was, yeah, I was, uh, I was appalled. Yeah, that's that's unconscionable. That, yeah, I mean, that's I mean just... it's it's not it's not a Sith moment. It's that's just a disaster. Right. And they they are apparently bringing it back. Uh, they're playing the Red Shoes again uh, uh, Saturday morning, and then again on Tuesday as part of like their Best of Sith film uh, our program. Uh, the website claims it's the thirty-five millimeter print. I don't know that I believe them. Oh, but, really? But. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna go. I don't trust them. <laughs> well, you know what? That's one point, Sanders, because we ran the red shoes mm -hmm. in '35. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Yeah, this print looked a lot better than the one that we had, though. The, well, the, the you know, our least, our print our print looked watch. our print looked pretty good, and we ran it all the way through. So. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> What was your biggest disappointment? My biggest disappointment was a film called Love Among the Ruins. Um, mm -hmm. uh, a film that, you know, it. I, I guess it's, it's a, uh, you know, I, I guess it's a rule nowadays that once a year there needs to be a throwback silent movie uh, that comes down the pipeline. Uh, you know, there was The Artist, you know, winning the Academy Award. There was Blanca Nieves, which, I, you know, I've talked about several times on the show and absolutely adored. And as a sucker for silent movies, I every time that one of these comes out, I am intrigued and I've got to go see this thing. And Love Among the Ruins is about, it, it starts out as a documentary of, of um, finding a silent movie in pristine condition that hasn't been seen in 90 years. It was, it was walled up in this um, house in Italy and uh, an earthquake dislodged, you know, the, there was a crack in the wall after an earthquake and they found film canisters and they, they said, what is this? And they took it to, you know, film preservation society that cleaned, you know, cleaned it up and uh, found this, you know, 90 year old silent movie from the Lumini brothers. Um, and, and it's got, um, really, really about. the Lumini yeah. brothers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, get, I, I'm, you know, um, and, and it sets these talking heads up to, to kind of set up this backstory of how these were, uh, kind of forgotten geniuses that kind of, you know, um, were the originators of a lot of styles and techniques and, and all of these things or whatever. And that's like the first 15 minutes of this thing. Uh, and then it gives way to the quote unquote, the restoration of this silent film, which is, it's all fake. Uh, the, the film, you know, both the documentary and then the, the silent portion were all made in the last year. Uh, and they just ape the styles of, of what they're doing. And it is the most empty 
piece of filmmaking I've ever. It's 71 minutes long. The whole thing is 71 minutes total. Uh, it feels like it's twice as long. Uh, the silent film. It, it, I you think the filmmaker wants to make it. Uh, it's directed by um, Massimo Ali Mohammed um, and is a co-production with some people in, in Seattle, actually. And this is the reason I played Sif, I'm sure. Um, uh, yeah, one of the producers actually introduced a couple of uh, films at Sif, including uh, Cave of the Spider Woman. Oh, there you go. Um, and and actually, the, the director of Love, in the Ru- Love Among the Ruins was sitting right behind me for, for Cave of the Spider Woman. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you... you it, it plays like it's supposed to be uh, a kind of a loving tribute to the, to the techniques and styles of silent cinema, uh, except for the fact that it doesn't bother to actually do any of the work to make that happen. Like it, it all, like every shot that's si- the black and white stuff, it looks so uh, out of context. It doesn't look like a silent movie. Like it, you know, it, it's clear that they, you know, um, superimposed, you know, grain, uh, scratch marks and stuff on it. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's like an homage to a mediocre movie that everyone that would have seen it in 1910 would have forgotten about the minute they walked out of the theater. And is there a point to that? I don't think so. Um, cause it was boring and stupid. Yeah, the the trailer looked really, really bad. It was really, it was rough. Yeah, it was a, it was a rough one. So that's my that's my biggest disappointment. And you know, next time that you know one of these silent you know throwbacks comes out, I will probably think twice. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on a uh, let's uh, as we are boomeranging back and forth between happy and sad in this uh, <laughs> section, uh, what is the the thing, the performance, the the film, the the what have you that makes you want to revise your 2014 end of the year awards? Because yeah. you know we we here at the George Sanders Show stick to a, a strict uh, film year chronology, and many of the films that played at the 2015 festival premiered in 2014 so for us they count as 2014 films yeah and actually you know we were talking about this before the show started i think uh percentage wise i saw more 2015 films than you did um out of the general total that i saw um about half of what i saw were 2014 films and there's nothing i don't think there's anything that would actually shake well, that's not true. There's one thing that I think would shake um, my picks from last year, but I'm not going to pick it because I'm going to talk about it later. But I will. I do want to kind of give a shout out to um, Love and Mercy, which you know we couldn't really talk about last week on the show um, because it hadn't opened yet in wide release. Um, and I, I, I didn't love the movie at all. Really, uh, it, it's it's solid. It's fine. Um, it has real issues in its third act, and there are some surprisingly bad performances from people that are usually very good. Um, I, well, is John Cusack one of them? John, I was not happy with John Cusack's performances because he hasn't. Because uh, that's not surprising. Because he hasn't been good in like twenty. No, that's years. not surprising. No, uh, Paul Giamatti um, mm. is um, surprisingly one note as uh as landy the the kind of villain of the piece you know what that doesn't surprise me 
Yeah, I, I guess, but I was. I think I think I think Paul Giamatti's overrated. Okay, I mean, I don't love the guy. I'm just <laughs> saying I, I've seen him do more nuanced things before, um, but. I was pleasantly surprised going back to the last or the previous topic um, with Paul Dano's performance, actually, mm-hmm. as the younger version of Brian Wilson in this thing. Um, Paul Dano is often cast in very specific roles <laughs> um, that if anybody's seen There Will Be Blood, that's kind of the, you know, the archetype for the, the Paul Dano kind of character, kind of a slimy weaselly kind of guy <laughs> yeah he looks <laughs> like a, the, he looks like a weasel he does um but here he actually really kind of embodies what i picture as brian wilson um he he definitely he looks the part um but he also in 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 the film's best scenes which are all take place um in the studio when when wilson is you know creating pet sounds and we see um you know him orchestrating the wrecking crew you know and having them do these unorthodox things to create these you know classic songs that we all know and love um dano really taps into some uh infectious enthusiasm and um throughout the movie he's really solid and so while i wouldn't you know knock anybody down a peg from my you know acting awards last year I would definitely like to give a shout out to Paul Dano because he did surprise me here. And um, along with Atticus Ross's uh, kind of sound design and, and uh, mashup kind of soundtrack that he did that we talked about in the last show, um, Paul Dano's performance is is the other great thing about that movie. Uh, what uh, would be your pick for, uh, you know, film or or you know category that you would want to revise for your 2014 awards there sean uh that would be a, a christian petzold's film phoenix and uh specifically it would be nina haas's performance in in the lead role uh this is uh in the the current version of my 2014 list which is mostly updated uh phoenix is is uh just inside my top 10 of the year uh, and and Haas's performance, I don't know if she would make my top five actresses. Uh, Best actress was a really strong category for me last year. Like there was a lot of uh, lead actress performances that I really liked, uh, and I think I, I probably would put her in the top five. Like she she's really good, and apparently she has been for a while. Like there was a, a lot of strong buzz with uh, uh, the film Barbara, which she made with with Petzold a few years ago that. I, have I did been, not like. <laughs> I have been meaning to see it for a really long time, and uh, now I really want to because I, I really liked Phoenix. Uh, she's good in, in Barbara. I To me, Barbara kind of embodied a lot of the worst elements of, of kind of... I don't want to say German cinema, but... Um, there was a bleakness to it that I found a little disingenuous. Um yeah, Phoenix. Phoenix is not like that. I was expecting a very kind of Germanic thing to it, and it was much. It was much cleverer. It was much more interesting than that. Uh, especially because you know it's a movie about a. Uh, it's a movie about a, a a woman who is a Holocaust survivor who comes home to to Germany after the war and uh, uh, is looking for her husband who may have been the one to out her 
to the Nazis and and have her sent away to uh, to Auschwitz. And sounds like she, a gay old time, right? And you know, it's it's it sounds you know really disturbing and, and uh, or really uh, depressing, and but it's not. It's like this. It's this kind of weird kind of cat and mouse thing that turns into this really interesting inversion of vertigo where where she she meets her husband but he doesn't recognize her but he thinks that she's just a woman who looks like his dead wife and he wants to collect her inheritance so he he gets her to pretend to be his wife when she actually is and she goes along with it as she's like trying to figure out if he betrayed her or not. Hmm, interesting. That definitely sounds more clever than, than Barbara was. Yeah. But I mean, I'm definitely, you know, caveat here. I know I'm in the minority on Barbara because most people really did respond to that film, but I, I just found it uh, mostly flat and kind of a slog, but yeah, this, this was not that it, it was, it was really interesting and it's got the, the best ending of the year. I think it's just, it's just fantastic, and I, I won't talk about it because I want you to see it. Sure. Well, Nina Haas, she's good. You know, she's also in uh, another movie that I really didn't like, um, uh, A Most Wanted Man, the mm. P.S. Hoffman movie from last year that okay, um, yeah. that I also thought was uh, stupidly adult. Um, <laughs> uh, but but she's good in it. She's 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 solid. Yeah, this is the first film I've seen her in, and and uh, I really liked her. She's really good. Well, speaking of people that you like, Sean, uh, another one of our uh, kind of unique categories this this go around that I probably will not be a category next year. Um, well, who knows? Uh, is the best Kobe Smulders film that you saw at SIF this year? Uh, this is really no contest. There were there were two Kobe Smulders film. Uh, uh, one was uh, Unexpected by uh, Chris Swanberg. Uh, that is really just like the definition of a mediocre American indie film. It's fine. Uh, but really good is Andrew Bujowski's Results, which is a romantic comedy in which uh, Colby Smulders plays a personal trainer who uh, has like a on-again, off-again relationship with her boss, who's played by Guy Pierce, and is uh, employed by a very rich uh, uh, slovenly guy played by Kevin Corrigan. And all three of the actors are are really very good, and it's a really it's a really sweet, very good romantic comedy, uh, which is not what you would expect from Andrew Bajalski coming off of of Computer Chess. But, yeah. But uh, I I really liked this movie a lot, and it has already opened and left Seattle screens. <laughs> but it is playing on demand, so you can you can still still check it out on on Amazon or what have you. Uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I've heard good things. Yeah. I've heard good things. Um, my pick is the Avengers: Age of Ultron because uh, I didn't see a Kobe Smulders film uh, at the festival, but so it goes. Mm. Uh, You're we're lost. gonna take. I know. <laughs> we're gonna take another uh, quick break here. Listen to some more Ornette Coleman, and we'll be right back with our final five categories. Woo.
All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, once again, we're going to have a, a, a Sif-specific um, topic to, to kind of kick this part off here. Uh, Sif runs... How many movies did they run at this festival, Sean? Like, uh, I think they said 400, 400 450. That counts shorts, though, so... Yeah. Um, so they, they, you know, they have a glossy, you know, film guide that they always... For some reason, <laughs> this happened two years in a row now. Uh, they don't have copies of it at the beginning of the press kickoff party, um, and they and people—that's all people are going there for. You know, you go to the press kickoff thing at SIF, and what it is is that it's catered. There's like some champagne and, and fruit, um, and you kind of stand around kind of awkwardly for like an hour. Um, and then you go into an auditorium and they show you a bunch of trailers for movies you don't want to watch. Um, and then you walk out and hopefully the press guides are hot off the presses. Uh, and that's the case two years running. Uh, they didn't have the press guide until, and you know, this might be a clever tactic on their part to just keep us in our seats. Maybe. Um, but this year I swear I was walking out of the auditorium after their presentation and I saw, uh, you know, a lackey running down the block with a box, you know, cardboard box in his hand, uh, into the theater and lo and behold, they opened it up. It was the press guide. So, uh, yeah. or the, or the, you know, the guide to the festival. So, uh, anyway, a lot of movies to break down in, in that guide. Um, and it's kind of the main thing that we go off of in terms of finding what we want to see, because a lot of these movies haven't been talked about anywhere else yet. So, this is a topic called most misleading Sith plot synopsis. Uh, do do you have a clear front runner, Sean? Was there one that just jumped out at you? Uh, the the obvious pick to me was was a matter of interpretation. Yes. Uh, Shall we read it together? Uh, not, no, <laughs> I, I think that would make very poor podcasting. Were we to do that, I I, I will read it. I, I have it right here. Uh, it says, a failed actress and a police officer with a penchant for interpreting dreams discuss their past loves and their subconscious fantasies in this Korean comedy, a quirky spin on the typical movie Meet Cute. <laughs> Which, that is so wrong. Yeah, there are some things about that description that are accurate. Sure. Someone uh, is a police officer. Someone is an actress. Uh, the police officer does enjoy interpreting dreams, uh, and the film is Korean. <laughs> right. It is not a comedy. Uh, it is... well, it's there. It is funny at moments, sure. but it no, is. It has funny moments, but it's not a comedy. It, this makes it seem like a romantic com uh, a romantic comedy, especially in the use of the the phrase "meet cute," which. There is no meet cute. There's in this no film. romance. Yeah, the 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 relationship between those two characters that they describe in this movie, there's it's, no inkling of romance between these people. No. It's not. It's not an intention of the film. And nor is it an exploration of subconscious fantasies. Nope. Uh, it is. It is a movie about about dreams, about depression, about suicide, <laughs> and ultimately about storytelling. Yes. And and uh, those two things, suicide and storytelling, are the kind of the, the two links of uh, Lee, Lee Quan Cook's films. Um, yeah, uh, Romance Joe and also A Matter of Interpretation both revolve around uh, 
stories that that interlock in in unexpected ways. They're all about people telling different stories uh, and the the kind of uh, uh, bleeding between of the storytelling reality and the ostensibly real reality. It's just in in Romance Joe, the stories are like a screenplay of a movie or or, uh, this guy tells a a story about people that he once knew. Uh, In a matter of interpretation, the stories are dreams. But there's no real, you know, qualitative difference between them. Right. Um, uh, Yeah, that description that Sith gave... Uh, sells this movie so short, so damn short. This, this, I would say a matter of interpretation, while it wasn't my favorite film of the festival, at least upon first viewing, it's the most intriguing uh, and kind of meaty film. And the, and the, and the one that you can really sink your teeth into and just like kind of uh, lose yourself in it because there's so many interesting and clever turns that it takes. And, uh, the performances are fantastic. Um, it's it's the one I, I most want to see again. I agree. I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, yeah, and it's it's a shame. Like I we, we we saw it on on screeners, and I really I was really tempted to go and see it uh, in one of its screenings just to see how it played with an audience to see if if people showed up for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, that was going to be my first uh, question with the interview, you know, because I, I was going to say, well, how, because I think there was a screening the night before the interview was supposed to take place. I was going to be like, how did that go? You know, like, <laughs> I, I really want to know, like, yeah. do, do people respond to this? Uh, I mean, I could see seeing this with an audience that I, I could see my enjoyment of it, like increasing if I'm seeing it with an audience that's on board with it and, and follows its narrative, you know, twists and turns. Yeah, it's he's he's really interesting. I, I I don't know why Romance Joe didn't get more exposure. I I thought it was it was a really really good movie. And as far as I know, uh, David Boardwell is the only person other than me to actually write about it. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it just never never played at any other North American or European film festivals. If it was just Vancouver. Um, a matter of interpretation uh, just premiered at the the Busan Film Festival in Korea, uh, the same week as Vancouver last year, and I don't know that it has played many other places besides SIF. Uh, I think it may have played in Berlin, maybe earlier this year. I'm not. I'm. I. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it. It. Yeah. It's definitely a movie I would recommend people seeking out. Um, both of those movies, Romance Joe and A Matter of Interpretation, if, if they can, um, because it's, they're, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know how your 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 plot synopsis for the film doesn't mention Hong Sang Soo, uh, because that's like the 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 like main reference point for Lee Kuan Cook is is he worked for for Hong Sang Soo and his movies are are similar in a lot of ways to to Hong's movies. Um, but he has his very own distinct voice, and that's yeah, what makes he, he, that, 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 that's what makes his movies uh, interesting. Is that he's not just like a clone of Hong Sang Soo. Yeah, he has a, he has a very different uh, uh, visual style, very different narrative style, and much you know different thematic interests. But they kind of exist in the same universe. Yeah, like of 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 artistic Koreans who drink a lot of soju. Sure. Absolutely, and are depressed. Yeah, but I, I think I think if you like 
Hong Sang Soo movies than you would like Lee Kwan sure. Cook movies and, 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 you, and vice versa. Right. If you want to get butts in the seat at your film festival and you're playing to that kind of crowd, mentioning a big film festival name like Hong Sang Soo would be beneficial for the movie's attendance. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, uh, our next topic here uh, <laughs> on the show is uh, best music. Uh, there were a lot of, of choices uh, this year with that. There were documentaries. There was, you know, Love and Mercy, which we talked about a couple of times now. Um, all kinds of things. You saw the movie with the live score and all that stuff. So uh, picking out of that, you know, menagerie of choices, uh, what, what is your pick for best music at SIF? Uh, my pick is uh, Eden, which is directed by Mia Hansen Love, and it is uh, kind of a, a biopic about a, a fictionalized uh, DJ uh, in, growing up in the 1990s that follows him from age like uh, uh, 15 until uh, he's in his 30s. And it, it just kind of uh, follows his career as he kind of reaches the peak and then and then and then kind of fades away. And like the the hook is that he's like friends with Daft Punk before they became Daft Punk. Um, and his friends went and, and became famous, whereas his career just kind of fizzled out. And it's it's loosely based on on Hanson Love's brother's life. Um, but the music is is really good if uh, you're into that kind of music. And I know that you are not a Daft Punk fan, so you probably would not like the music in this. <laughs> but uh, but it's 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 really cool. And uh, the the main reason I wanted to see it, uh, I haven't seen uh, Hanson Love's earlier films, but she did put Millennium Mambo on her Sight and Sound top ten, uh, and so that is enough for me and <laughs> and the, the music scenes in this have the the similar kind of vibe that that film has you know electronic dance music as well um so it, it's it's a it's a really interesting film and it uses you know the music well because this, this is a guy whose entire life is is built around music listening to music and 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 creating this music but he's just kind of uh he like picks the genre that he likes when he's 15 years old and he becomes like an obsessive partisan of that genre and he never grows. Mm. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, that's like the, the story of his life. And, you know, the, one of the, the weird complaints about this movie that I've been seeing on, on Twitter is that the cast never, you know, visibly ages. Like the, the actors look the same when they're 15 as when they're, you know, 30. Um, but that's kind of the whole point of the movie is that this, this is a guy who never evolved. He's just like tried to stay the same person he was for as long as possible. And then eventually it just collapses. This sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And they showed it uh, at 9.30 and it's over, you know, two hours long. And I was really, really tired by the time it ended. <laughs> cool. Yeah. What was what was your uh, uh, best music? Well, uh, t to give you an example of, of the best music, we're going to hear a little clip here. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, that's a clip of a song uh, called Number One uh, from Yol Alarong. Um, and the, the song comes from a film called Don't Think I've Forgotten, Cambodia's Lost Rock and Roll, uh, which is a documentary kind of charting the music scene in Cambodia from the 50s uh, to the 70s until the Khmer Rouge came in and basically, you know, killed everybody and, you know, put a uh, stop to any sort of artistic um, you know, enterprises or whatever. And, uh, the, the music is, is great. I mean, it's, it's, there's some really amazing stuff, um, in it and it, um, it, it does a good job of charting where the kind of influences for this sound came from. And it's actually a lot of different kinds of sounds The stuff in the fifties sounds different than the stuff in the sixties, obviously, but, um, Cambodia was a really interesting kind of hotbed, uh, for melding a bunch of different kind of, uh, musical styles, you know, music from Cuba was kind of mixed with, you know, like a garagey rock kind of sound um, and stuff. And the music is what makes that movie worth watching. Unfortunately, as a documentary, it's uh, it's it's fine, but it 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 does a couple of you know egregious things and things that it kind of sells it short, uh, particularly. Uh, these kind of reenactments that it does that are, you know, they're not really narrative reenactments. They're kind of just like, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm think trying to think of? Not thematic, but kind of just giving you a, uh, a visual of the time, you know, uh, and uh, just trying to, to set you into that kind of world or whatever. And near the end, once things really come to a head, it gets a little... Uh, bit too much <laughs> it's a little it's a little over the top shall i say there there are a lot of red filters on the camera at that point but anyway uh. um but the music is what what matters and you know it's i definitely give it a, a, a um a recommendation on that alone there were some artists in there particularly um yol alarong and i'm probably pronouncing his name wrong but uh he's a really interesting character in the movie and he writes these really awesome songs that are really goofy and fun and just rock i mean there's that riff is just super cool so <laughs> uh don't think i've forgotten is is uh my pick for best music Right on. Uh, well, speaking of Asian movies, uh, what is what is your pick for the best non-Asian film of <laughs> SIF 2015? Yeah, we picked this because as a category because um, you probably know by now listening to George Sanders show, we tend to talk a lot about at least contemporary films uh, from Asian countries. Uh, there, there tends to be cinema scenes uh that are really exciting. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, Japan, uh, you know, three of the movies or four, or excuse me, three of the movies or two of the movies, depending on how we, you know, are counting them, uh, in my top five of Sif films are from Japan, you know, with the little forest movies. And, uh, when Marnie was there, um, and a matter of interpretation, you know, Korea. Uh, so a lot of love for Asian cinema. Um, so we figured we'd give a shout out to, to somebody else. And uh, my pick for best non-Asian film is a solid movie. Once again, it's a documentary. Uh, it's called Virtuosity. Mm. And it's a, it's a documentary about um, young up-and-coming pianists who all um, descend upon 
uh, Fort Worth, Texas for this Van Clyburn International Piano Competition every year. Um, And they are put through their paces. It's like insanely grueling, um, playing these very complex pieces. uh, And everybody is, you know, technically perfect. And then it's up to these, you know, kind of judges pompous judges uh yeah. to determine who's the best of the best and um it's not you know it's not an eye-opening movie by any stretch of the imagination and the reason that this is my best non-asian film is that it's actually the middle of my you know rankings of movies it's just all, all the asian movies for the most part were way better than anything else so i'm not saying that this is the best movie in the world but um there are interesting elements to this movie that kind of play on the outskirts of the film. Um, and yeah, I, th- the- I think, I think there's that, that was a movie that, that could have been really interesting. Right. And I agree. Yeah. Like, I think, I think if they tweaked certain elements of it, they could have made this, yeah, a really profound and, and kind of, uh, opening experience. And it, it's not, it's, it's really kind of cookie cutter, but, um, but there are elements of it that I think are enjoyable. Um, you know, so yeah. it is what it is. You know, if you're intrigued by the premise, you know, I, I would say seek it out. But yeah, it's definitely not the. You know, yeah, set the I, I, I wish it had, it had explored some more. Some more about like uh, about what happened to to the performers after the That's, competition. Yeah, or just more in just the nature of of these kinds of competitive performances and and the way they kind of warp the the artistry of of the the playing the piano because uh, you know all of, in order to like stand out they all have to have like these grotesque you know uh melodramatic facial expressions in order to like because that's like the agreed upon style of what performance means and it's right. it's really really gross it's very hacky yeah Yeah. and and i you know i just wonder what what the what these performers actually think of that like uh i would be i would be embarrassed yeah well you know the one aspect that i think this movie does a good job of where it doesn't go it doesn't hit this idea on the you know repeatedly on the head which I, i appreciate but it does kind of expose this whole industry as a farce because mm-hmm. you you know it intercuts the performances where these kids are playing these pieces and obviously i am no you know classically trained musician or whatever but all of these kids are playing these things perfectly and identically mm-hmm. for the most part you cannot really tell a difference and well that, like, that that's a problem with the editing is like it's really unclear how the competition works like are they playing the same song in every phase and if so why are we not cutting from you know like the same passage played by four different people so we can see or you know we can see and hear the difference but well it, they do do that though a couple of times well they no do, but, they but it, it cuts it, it cuts, you know, continuously in the song. Like right. they're playing a Chopin piece and they play three different people, but instead of playing the same passage from three different well, people. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They play, they play the same thing. So you're not, you're not getting like a direct comparison. Sure. Um, but the, all that being said, but it does expose a couple of times, uh, this kind of, what I think is, is, is the most interesting part of the picture is the, the whole kind of farce that they, that, 
everybody, all the great, you know, practitioners of this art form uh, from around the world descend on this one place that's going to decide the fate. I mean, literally the fate of these people's lives. They've spent their whole life leading up to this point. And if they don't get picked, they're nothing pretty much at this point. You know what I mean? Like they don't get a record contract. They don't get a, you know, be a touring well, we don't, we, don't, we don't know that that is the case because some of them come back the next year. You know, there are other ways to get contracts. There are other ways to be a, a touring musician. But it's not, uh, it's kind of built up as much more than I think it actually is. Well, um, I, I think it, it, yeah. Well, I think the movie kind of pops certain bubbles that I think needed to be popped. <laughs> <laughs> whether or not Whether or not that was intentional or not. You know, I, I found that interesting. Uh, what was your best non-Asian film, Sean? Well, somewhat surprisingly, only two of my top ten films are Asian films. <gasps> Who are you and what have you done with Sean Gilman? Uh, I think I think it was a, a, a pretty weak selection of, uh, of Asian films at the festival this year. Honestly, uh, I, was, I was a little disappointed. Um, my, my number one film of the festival is a non Asian film, and it is Noah Baumbach's Mistress America. Oh, okay. There you are, Sean Gilman. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you weren't uh, taken over or, you know, replaced with some cyborg. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is uh, Baumbach's second film of, of to be released this year, While We're Young. Uh, it technically counts as a 2014 film. This is 2015. Uh, it was co-written with Greta Gerwig, uh, like Francis Ha was, and uh, it it stars her, and I I I love Greta Gerwig. She's she's fantastic. She's a three time Andy Award winner for acting. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and she'll probably get nominated again this year. Uh, Holy it, moly! It's really good. It's it's uh, a film that's kind of the flip side of While We're Young, uh, looking at a generation gap. But uh, in this case, it's. Uh, from a more uh, female perspective, and it's a younger girl looking up to an older woman, as opposed to Ben Stiller as an older man looking up to a younger man. Uh, it's it's a much tighter, much funnier film than While We're Young. It's uh, it's you know it's almost a, a a classical screwball comedy. It's really good. I I loved it. That's great. You I'm don't you don't it. like Noah Baumbach at all, do you? Well, I've only seen Francis Ha, and I Francis hated it. So really. Know. Yeah, what Why? you know that? Well, I assume because you hate everything that's good, but yeah, I, 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 I don't have the time for that kind of movie. I'm sorry, I just don't. Well, I think I think this might be his best movie, and that it's um, even in in something like Francis Ha, which I liked. There's a lot of kind of uh, uh, kind of grasping at artistry in it whereas uh mistress america is is relaxed like there's nothing forced about it like there's not you know the the uh the leos carax homage scene there's not like the black and white there's not you know uh the uh the kind of uh uh, uh reaching towards profundity of something like the squid and the whale um it's just it's just funny which I don't think he's been in a really long time, if yeah. ever. Uh, I mean, even even kicking and screaming, his his first movie, which which is my favorite, uh, still has these kind of uh, 
I, I'm going to be artistic now, so this is how I'm going to cut to flashback scenes that just look really cheesy and, and forced. Um, even, even, you know, there's none of that in, in this film. I, I think if there was a Noah Baumbach film that you would like, I think that this would be it. Well, I, maybe I'll give it, a, maybe I'll give it a go. Um, it's going to yeah. get its, its wide release in, in August, I believe. So give, All right. give it, give it a shot. Maybe I will. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm coming for your head if I don't like it. Oh, <laughs> Now, whatever. People can do what they want to do. Just leave me alone. Uh, so, Noah Baumbach, you know, he's a big name, and, and his movies do get a wider release outside of a festival circuit. Um, but the kind of the point to all of this, to, to SIF, uh, and, and, and sitting through all of this stuff, the disappointments and, you know, the the terrible indie films and all that stuff is, is seeing stuff that you wouldn't see anywhere else. Um, and so we created a category called best movie. You couldn't see anywhere else and probably won't get a chance to see ever again. So, uh, what film for you best embodied that kind of sentiment, Sean, uh, the Royal road, which was, uh, a kind of experimental essay film documentary by, uh, uh, Jenny Olson. That reminded me a lot of uh, of, of uh, uh, Sarah Vowell or or Chris Marker. Uh, the kind of story of the documentary is that she's going to uh, she lives in San Francisco and she's going to visit her girlfriend in Los Angeles and she's going to do that by by tracing the Camino Real, which was the royal road that the the Spanish uh, uh, colonists built to connecting Los Angeles to San Francisco. So she's going to kind of follow that way in reverse, but she doesn't really follow it. She like cuts from one place to another, and and as we're we're looking at these uh, still images of of the landscapes, mostly the the urban landscapes, the uh, uh, freeways of, of buildings, uh, old buildings, new buildings, whatever. She you know she talks in the manner of a, of an essay film. Uh, she talks about history. She talks about about movies. She talks about growing up and and about you know various failed relationships that she's had, and it's. It's really, really cool and really, really smart and and uh, a lovely film that you're never going to see in a movie theater. Uh, little known fact, uh, I used to live on El Camino Real. Yeah. Uh, I lived above a liquor store uh, and next to a smoke shop and across the street from a porn shop when I lived <laughs> on El Camino Real uh, when I was 19 years old. Uh, I actually saw the, uh, yeah, I I think I saw a trailer or I saw, or the synopsis or something about that. And I was actually really intrigued by, uh, by that film. And, um, yeah, I am sorry that I missed out on that one. Yeah. And, and it's got, you know, because it is set partially in San Francisco and it's an essay film, it of course has a long section about vertigo. Uh, and it's, it's really cool. And, and it is, uh, there, she has interesting things to say about vertigo, which it's hard Hard to do nowadays because everybody talks about vertigo, but it is, that's, that's how vertigo goes. I mean, it's that, I mean, and that's like the, you know, the, the obvious Chris Marker connection because Chris Marker loved vertigo, but you know, just the whole style of the film is very, very Chris Markery and, and the way that she, that she relates the, the history 
and in relating it to our own life reminded me of Sarah Vowell as well, who I also really like. So cool. Yeah. Really good movie. Cool. What, what was, uh, what's one that, uh, you couldn't see anywhere else and probably won't ever get to see again. Yeah. I'm kind of turning the, uh, the subject on its head here a little bit. Like, I think this one actually might get a release. Like, I, th- I think this one was actually, people responded to this a, a bit at the festival. But for me, it's a little more of a personal thing. This is the movie that I probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to see <laughs> anywhere else. Um, and it's definitely not going to get a huge release. It's not going to be Amelie or anything like that. But um, it's a Hungarian film called Lisa the Fox Fairy, um, which um, is about it takes place in the sixties, maybe it's early seventies. Uh, and Lisa's kind of this, um, spinster in training. She's a a woman in her thirties, um, who's kind of a caretaker, um, for, for this woman. And, and she's, she doesn't get out much. Um, and she, uh, her only friend is the ghost of this Japanese pop singer, um, who, uh, comes to life, periodically and they they sing and dance together and stuff um but when the woman she's taking care of ends up dying lisa starts to kind of make her way out into the world and she wants to kind of fall in love uh but the ghost is jealous uh the japanese pop star ghost is jealous and so he um kills pretty much every man that comes into contact with Lisa. And the the thing I like about the movie, you know, some of it works and some of it doesn't. So it's a little too uh, twee at times maybe, or, or maybe that's not the right word, but it's a little too precious on occasion. But what kind of holds it together is Monica Balsley's, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but uh, her, her, um, her performance as, as Lisa, she, 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 she gives it heart and she, and she actually kind of embodies like an actual kind of character. And she, um, you kind of want her to succeed as you're, as you're watching the film. Um, despite all the crazy random ghost happenings going on around it, she kind of grounds it a little bit. And, uh, I, I think her performance is actually, um, very, very strong and, uh, you know, it's a slight movie, but it's, um, it's enjoyable and definitely something you wouldn't see at a multiplex. Yeah, uh, it sounds like uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer, but Hungarian and with Japanese ghosts. <laughs> yeah, sure. That works. That works for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would see that. That, that. that was one that I was uh, very, very, very hesitant to watch. I was like somewhat intrigued, like this could be good or this could be terrible. Um, so. Yeah, it's, you know, it does, you know, like I said, it's not a masterpiece, but it it's definitely got... Uh, elements that make it worthwhile and particularly that uh you know main performance there yeah i think it picked up like a a best new director award yeah it's definitely got some stylish touches to it that um are once again going kind of talking about noah bombach you know sometimes it's a little too much it's like uh okay you're trying to be a little flashy here but some but some of it actually works really well particularly in the climax when when all these things kind of come to a head and he needs to do some kind of flourishes it, it definitely works well right on. so that brings us to our final category at the end of this long road the el camino real of the sif program we've reached our destination uh and our final category this evening this year is the movie that you think 
the other person should watch. So what film did you see, Sean, at SIF in 2015 that you were like, oh, man, Mike, Mike needs to get on this? Uh, this was really easy. Um, it was uh, uh, Saved from the Flames, the uh, uh, program of silent films put together by uh, Serge Bromberg, the, the director of uh, Lobster Films. And I think you would have really loved it. And uh, you should be ashamed of yourself for not having made it out. I'm already ashamed. I know. I missed Gertie the Dinosaur. Uh, there was Gertie the Dinosaur. There was uh, uh, Buster Keaton's The Love Nest. There was a, uh, 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 an Ub Iwerks short. Uh, Ub Iwerks? Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, about uh, Balloon Land and and Pincushion Man and Balloon Land that you would have really really dug. Uh, there was you know there was uh, the uh, the 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 shot of uh, uh, the fixed camera on the tram car going down Market Street in San Francisco three days before the earthquake in 1906, uh, and it was it was just a a great presentation of all these shorts with with Bromberg who really kind of brought out. The uh, the the weird and the exciting and the fun in these in these you know archival films that had almost been lost until Lobster Films came along and saved them and of course there's the the full color version of uh, George Melius's uh, Trip to the Moon That's, which yeah. is really awesome yeah I I am a loser I yeah. I should have I should have done any, anything in my power to do to go to that yeah. Oh, so it goes. <laughs> well, my choice uh, is a film I already talked about at the top of the show. Um, and I think you should see it for a couple of reasons. I, uh, Big Father, Small Father, and Other Stories, which I said at the beginning of the show, is it was my favorite film of the festival. Um, and is a film that I hope gets uh, some traction with people. It hasn't yet. Um, and I might be the only one <laughs> touting it. But... Um, uh, what I liked about it, you know, we talked about all these Asian films that we kind of championed and 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 stuff, and and obviously we've seen a number of films from you know Korea and uh, Japan and you know Hong Kong and and all these places, um, and I think this is the first Vietnamese film that I've seen. At least it's the first one that comes into my head. Um, and I've seen uh, like a scent of green papaya or. No, I haven't. Um, Neither have I. <laughs> yeah, well, see, there you go. That's yeah. why you should see this movie because, because it really, um, I, it it does feel, um, kind of indicative of its country. Like it really does uh, put you in that time and place, and 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 frames Saigon's nightlife interestingly and juxtaposing it with kind of the the rural aspect that I was talking about earlier in the film and I just think it's a really good movie and I, you know I just want you to see good movies Sean <laughs> okay yeah I read the, I read the description of that and then I saw your review and I was really surprised um just based off the description that it was as good as you said it was because yeah. it, it did not look appealing to me but hey hey you never know. You know, we had a whole category on misleading SIF descriptions. So. That's right. <laughs> uh, were there any other films that you you wanted to mention that have gone unmentioned? I think I've mentioned every film that I saw at SIF in 2015. Yes, I got them all in there. 
Right on. Uh, I, I will not mention them all, but uh, another couple that I did not fit in that I wanted just to uh, mention, uh, Sleeping with Other People is a romantic comedy with Alison Brie and Jason Sudeikis, uh, directed by Leslie Headland. Uh, that is really good. Uh, much like uh, Results, it's it's a, a a sweeter romantic comedy than you would expect it to be, uh, especially since uh, Headland's uh, previous film, Bachelorette, uh, is just this really mean and nasty and hilarious comedy with uh, with Kirsten Dunst and, and Rebel Wilson that I liked a lot, but a lot of people just find too you know kind of misanthropic. Uh, Sleeping with other people is is just as funny but it has heart. It's, nice. it's really cool. It's like a, a an updated variation on, on when Harry met Sally. That is, is really cool. And Alison Brie does not rap in it. Uh, as far as I remember, there is no rapping Alison Brie. Uh, and the other couple were, uh, uh, Peter Greenaway's Eisenstein in, in Guanajuato, which is a really, really fun kind of crazy movie, uh, with a, a really neat performance at the, at the center. And, uh, uh, Peter Chan's Dearest, which is uh, a very uh, kind of unusual melodrama about uh, a child abduction in, in China that has uh, an interesting twist halfway through and uh, a very uh, uh, actorly performance from, from Zhao Wei that has won her a number of awards, but probably won't get her uh, an Emmy. Oh, Although I do like her quite a bit. No it's, uh, there's a lot of tears. But uh, those are those are some of the uh, the very good movies that I saw at SIF this year. Uh, on the whole, I thought it was a, a really good festival. Like it was much better than than my SIF experience from last year. And not just because I was able to actually see a bunch of movies. Like I I, I feel like there were a lot more movies worth seeing this year than there were last year. Yeah, I you know I I think that they kind of took a different approach this year. I, I overheard that they got a new uh, programmer for foreign films. Um, and yeah, so I think that contributed to it. And uh, I, I agree. I, I was definitely, um, there, there were just as many movies that I didn't see as, as ones that I did that I, that I was interested in. And hopefully, you know, I have a few screeners still left. I can still play catch up over the next, you know, couple of weeks and stuff and get to some of those. Um, to round out my list, but yeah, it was a good year. Yeah. Uh, and we are going to, I think we talked about it on the last show. Maybe we did. I don't know. Uh, this year we are both going for the first time to the Vancouver international film festival, uh, in September, late September, early October. Um, we've already booked our, uh, abodes and, uh, we're going to be there for, I think nine days, something nine, like that. Yeah. Eight, nine something nights. Like that. Nine nights, I think. All right. Yeah. Uh, We're there for a long time. Nine crazy nights with Sean and Mike. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, we'll do something similar to this, or maybe we'll do, like, reports from that festival and stuff. But um, hopefully this was enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're going to be doing it again in a couple of months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. Uh, you know, film festivals are a wonderful opportunity to see those things that, you know, like you said, go uh, unmentioned, you know, 11 months out of the year. So I think that's it, right? Are we done? Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do next week? 
I have no idea. You know what? <laughs> it's too late for me to decide. So it'll be a surprise episode next time on the George Sanders show. Yeah. Who knows what's coming uh, down the pipeline. You can pay attention to our Twitter feed. And there at some point go. when we figure it out, I will I will announce it there. And we are on Twitter at Geo Sanders Show. And we have a website, the, the George Sanders Show dot blogspot dot com. And we have an email address. What's the email address? I don't know. The George Sanders Show at gmail.com. Yeah, we never get any email. We got an email like once. Yeah. Uh, we don't even get spam there, I don't think. Yeah, well, Gmail, you know. They're... Yeah, they filter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we also write stuff uh, on seattlescreenscene.com. Uh, a lot uh, of our SIF takes are on there uh kind of our more in-depth reviews of stuff and we wrote quite a few things i think we did uh a dozen or so um of the of the stuff that we saw there so if you if you want more of us talking sif it's on there um as well as you know current releases that are coming to seattle of of other interesting things so uh that'll have to tide you over till next time people we can only do so much uh, so without further ado, oh yeah, are we going to listen to more Ornette Coleman? No. Okay, we're done with him. <laughs> He's is over. Uh, we're gonna take. We're gonna have George sing us to sleep uh, in the the way that only he can. So until next time, stay cool and party on, dudes. <laughs> How are you so bad at this every time? What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, you know. Uh, I, hate, I hate saying goodbye, you know? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs>